Welcome to I Care Better, Endo Unplugged, where we talk about all things endometriosis. I'm your host, Jandra Mueller, pelvic floor physical therapist and integrative nutritionist. Welcome to another episode of I Care Better, Endometriosis Unplugged. Sorry that today's episode is a bit late. It's been a crazy last couple of weeks, and I'm excited to share our guest today. Her name is Brick Gossie, and she's been one of the biggest motivators for me as well as the co-creator of the endometriosis course that we created a couple of years ago, aimed at management of complex endometriosis for generally pelvic floor physical therapists, though we are opening it up to more healthcare providers. We do get into this a little bit in her episode today after she shares her pretty extensive story with endometriosis and the path that got her to pelvic PT as well as getting better, having a beautiful son, and continuing this journey with me. So the last couple of weeks were pretty intense. I actually took our course and then taught it in-house to our company, but we had a little company retreat or education vacation. But a couple of weeks ago, I was updating it and lost all of my graphics. 358. So been kind of a crazy couple of weeks getting that back together and we just finished yesterday and so now I'm back on everything so that is why it was a little bit late but nevertheless we will have today's episode and we will share Brit her story and talk a little bit about our course and why we created it. So Saeed has joined us today for this episode in helping kind of connect the pieces. This is sort of how our relationship with I Care Better started in helping provide more education. So without further ado, here is Britt. Today we have Britt Gossie here and her and I have over the last few years really been passionate about creating more education around endometriosis and we have a continuing education course for physical therapists that other healthcare professionals are welcome to take as well. And we are here to hear her story and learn more about finding care and resources in the Midwest where there is a paucity of of providers and what that looks like in both her story as well as managing patients with endometriosis. So Britt, would you like to tell a little bit about you, your story, and how you got into physical therapy? Sure, absolutely. So first, I'd like to say thank you so much for having me here and on the podcast. I know this has been a dream and something you've been like hoping to do for a long time. So I'm really excited. I've loved listening to the previous episodes. And I think that this is going to be and already is an extremely powerful resource for patients, providers, um, even loved ones and those who are supporting those through that journey. And It is a great resource, especially for those who may not have um, access. It's a great place to gain some of those knowledge points. So congratulations, like you're here doing it. So that's great. Thank you. I am a pelvic floor physical therapist in my career path and training. And I have been in the field for um, like seven or eight years now. So that seems a little crazy to me. Getting into the field for me did begin with my journey in endometriosis and some of those symptoms um, kind of as I dove deeper into that. So my endo journey began long before I was a PT. I can't remember a time of not having a period that wasn't painful or symptomatic in some way since the onset of my periods in probably like seventh or eighth grade. You know, it kind of just started with the typical yeah, periods suck. I kind of want to miss a day of school or laying down in the nurse's office, getting Tylenol, skipping gym class, and, you know, coming home complaining to my mom or family members or friends like, I feel like garbage. My periods are painful. I have horrible cramps. All of these things that to me and the things that I heard were just, man, that's your period. Welcome to womanhood. Like, it is what it is. And so very early on, I think mentally for me, I found myself in this mindset of like, it is what it is. This is normal. So suck it up, like take the Tylenol, take the Myodol, grab the heating pad, do the things. 
miss school. And I think for me and a bit for those who were very close to me, as it became a regular monthly thing of like missing school, I'm saying no to things that I loved or just really like, I don't really want to go to the soccer game or whatever it was because of symptoms. It was like, oh, this isn't you. Like you're not a person who says no, doesn't like work through things, that type of thing. And so that kind of began my journey of figuring out what are these symptoms. I think some highlights from that, just because it was, you know, a eight or nine year journey of like different doctors, different providers. I went through the whole, like, it's your gallbladder. Eat like no greasy foods. Don't do this. Avoid dairy. You're sensitive to lactose. Take lactate. Don't, you know, do less dairy products. You need to exercise more. You need to drink water. And I think during that time frame, of course, I tried all of those things, right? Because what do you do? I don't know. I'm 13, 14, 15, 19, just trying to figure it out and hopeful at this point for somebody to like suggest something that's going to help. At a certain point, it's like, this is, honestly, this is dumb. Like it's not working. You're telling me things that sound ridiculous. Like I am an athlete. I'm an active individual. I eat some of the like standard American diet um, in air quotes, but Generally, I grew up in a household where we ate fruits and vegetables and healthy things and not fast food, junk food, processed food very regularly. Those were treats. So I can't possibly imagine that I need to exercise more or, you know, do these things that we so often hear other patients um, complaining of. And I think I was probably 17 or 18 years old when I went to a gynecologist for the first time, because of these symptoms, constipation, painful periods was kind of the big two for me. You know, I was having subsequent things, back pain. I'd seen physical therapists, I'd seen chiropractors, I'd seen my primary doctor, I'd worked with some GI people and had all the things kind of just thrown at me, right? So I went to the gynecologist. It was my mom's gynecologist because you know, that's what you know. And um, my mom came with me to the appointment. I do remember that. And of course, by this point, like both myself and my mom are very frustrated and concerned. Like this is atypical. Something's not right. Um, So we've done some reading research on our own. Um, Actually, in the appointment, I learned that my mom had done maybe more research than I. I very distinctly remember sitting in that appointment and my mom saying to the provider, well, do you think this could be endometriosis? So my mom was the one who said the word first. Um, I do remember that. And I remember the provider specifically telling her something along the lines of like, period pain is normal. Everybody has period cramps. She's probably constipated and that's what's causing these issues. Have you really been following the like, dairy-free diet that was recommended, you know, however many years ago. And so here's some like, Maida, let's start around birth control. That will help. And I don't think it's probably endometriosis. And if it is, this pill will help us determine that. So, I mean, I don't know. So I started on the pill, which led to kind of the next roller coaster of things. I was a college student at this time and the pill did not jive with my body well. I tried several different ones and all just all of the side effects of like the emotional, the hormonal roller coasters, additional symptoms like GI related and stuff that I understand now was because of the pill and I wasn't feeling any better. Um, For me, it wasn't something that even really acted as a band-aid to my symptoms that I now know were endometriosis. I like just doubly felt like garbage, right? And I was getting to a point where symptoms weren't just at the time of menses or like the time of ovulation. It was becoming a month long thing. And I was grateful for maybe the handful of days where I felt pretty good. Um, I was missing class still and 
as a college student, that felt a little easier to do, like, okay, this class, I can catch a lecture online or, you know, those types of things to keep up, but was seeing how it was limiting me. And so continued the interaction with different providers, different gynecologists, but all along, it was the same story. So I was in rural Iowa at the time of all of this, seeing providers who I do genuinely believe most of them were doing the best that they could with the knowledge that they had. They just didn't have the knowledge that I needed and that answered my symptoms. And they didn't have maybe the knowledge of the resources, partly because of kind of where we are, landlocked in the center. So things seem to get here a little bit later, Um, but also just because of the time and the culture. We've come so far in just a short amount of time. Um, So it's hard to believe how that's changed. But I do think that was a factor. But I was kind of caught in that mill of like, we don't know. And so we'll tell you what we do know. And if it is endometriosis, what we know or believe at this time is the pill will solve the problem, right? And so that's kind of where I was, kind of stuck in that. I tried to hang with the pill for a bit and it just became like way too much. So got off of that because it wasn't helping and was pretty much just in a cycle of like Tylenol ibuprofen and trying to get through the day. By the time I started grad school for PT, I certainly could not miss class. Um, You know, if you'll understand the rigor of just like a higher education degree, I was like sitting on exercise balls in class, stretching during class, trying to just like make it through the day. I think really got to a place mentally where I was almost like, blocking out the trauma or like the intensity of symptoms, if that makes sense to anyone, um, to get through my day. And I remember a few distinct times, one in particular that led me to seek out a different doctor. I was on a clinical rotation and I happened to be in the state of Ohio during that time. And you know, I'd sucked it up for a long time at this point. It's probably been close to 10 years. And I woke up getting ready to go to the clinic, you know, like be there early, be on time, do all of the things to be a great student. It was my final clinical rotation before PT school. I had had eight weeks in a pelvic health setting. So I did feel like a little bit more knowledgeable, kind of figuring out like, okay, yeah, maybe some of these things about pelvic pain and endometriosis. I had done plenty of research of my own at this point. I think I felt maybe a little more confident in advocating for myself or kind of starting that process. But I woke up one morning, terrible pain, you know, like that splicing, sharp, burning, barbed wire wrapped in the abdomen type of pain. And I had no energy. Like I could not pull myself out of bed. It took everything I had to like get up out of bed walked down the couple of stairs, and then I sat to rest because the pain was so intense. Mustered up the strength to try to take a shower, showered through tears, and finally I was like, I am no good for myself, and I'm not any good for any patients that I will see today. So I contacted the person at our school and kind of let them know, contacted my CI, and I just remember the person that I talked to from my school, she was like, you need to go to the doctor. And this is not normal and you need to figure out what's going on. I'm here for you. Like whatever you need, we'll take care of, you know, the due diligence. And so I felt very supported in that moment. It was hard being away from home. Like, okay, I feel like garbage and I got to find somebody to go see. So I just went to like a nearby acute care place. I do feel like this was one of those like universal moments or divine timing or however you quantify that in your life. So I was there and they were like, Let's do some quick imaging studies, you know, appendix, all of the things, fine, appropriate, makes sense, right? Everything was okay. I mentioned the endometriosis thing, like, I don't know if I have this, but I kind of think it is the thing, but nobody said it's the thing or, you know, gave me the formal label. They said, well, it just so happens that one of our gynecologists has more training in endometriosis and he could get you in today in like a half an hour can you wait? And I was like, well, yeah, like, yeah, sure. And I was very skeptical, I will say, right? Like I've been to how many people and they're like, nah, blah, blah, you're constipated. 
drink more water, relax. I waited and this gentleman came in very pleasant. He was like, I know that it hurts, but I do want to do an internal exam if you're okay with that. Um, He did the exam. Of course, I was in tears and he was like, nothing should be this painful. I think you have endometriosis. Have you heard those words before? And I was like, well, yes, I have. Not from a doctor, but I've heard of them on my own. And he was like, I can set you up for surgery in two weeks. I'm like a cluster of emotions, as you could imagine. Right? Like You've been to doctors, told basically that you're crazy or that it's in your head or dismissed or gaslighted in some way for years. And now I'm how many miles away from home, about to finish PT school. And this guy's like, yeah, that's it. Let's do surgery in two weeks. Like, sure. I think I felt relieved, validated. I definitely felt heard. That was like one of the very first moments that I truly felt heard really by anyone, actually, including those that were in my close circle, but like just that validation. And so that gave me some kind of sense of like, it isn't in my head. And like, there is something here. And I think it gave me fuel for the next phase of my story. I did not end up having surgery with this doctor because I was graduating PT school. My internship was about to end. Just logistically, nothing was quite aligning right. I did feel encouraged that it was a route that I should pursue and that I should not give up on, if that makes sense. I'm curious. So when that doctor told you that, yes, this is highly probably endometriosis, let's schedule you for in two weeks. What was going on through your mind? Like you have this like decade, probably over a decade of like I did some math in my head. I thought it's about a decade. Like a lot of doctors would tell you this is normal. Take this pill. And then this doctor comes in for the first time. The same, the same training, almost the same training, the same clothes, white coat. <laughs> everything is the same. Comes in, but says something. I was, I'm really curious, like, what went through your mind for that 10 years behind you? Like, what happened at that moment? I think it was a quick moment and a long moment. I think in the moment, like I said, I felt validated, like someone finally heard me. And it felt a little bit surreal because I'd been telling the story and explaining what I'd experienced for so long and not feeling heard that you start to feel defeated, or at least I did. You start to second guess what you really are experiencing, or if you've made up something along the way, or dramatized something, or exaggerated. And you spend a lot of time trying to convince yourself, like, no, I'm not doing those things, and I'm not crazy. But now I start to feel a little crazy. And so I had a moment of like, I feel validated and I feel like I was heard and that felt great. And then about probably 30 seconds later, I was like, well, maybe I made this up. Maybe I like said something that wasn't really true. And now he thinks it's this. And if he does the surgery or if I go somewhere else to pursue this, like they're not going to find anything. And then I really am like the crazy person with all of this, like, symptoms and pain and um, things that don't seem to add up or make sense. And I don't want to be that crazy person because I don't think I'm crazy. Like, this is very real. Just kind of back and forth in that mix of emotions. I do remember sitting in the office. They had, like, the lights dimmed just for some calming effect. And I was crying partly because I was in pain from, you know, just the exam. But mostly that, like, emotional release of 10 years of everything. Also the confliction of like, what do I do now? Like, I know I can't have surgery in two weeks, but you know, what do I do? Like, I'm not going to come back to this person who heard me. I'm going to walk away. And so I remember the nurse like bringing me tissues. I remember sitting in the car and talking to my parents and um, some other people. And I felt encouraged. I felt heard. 
I did feel some of those like inner self-talk of like, is this real? Are you crazy? Maybe you should just keep going. Like everybody, nobody else has believed you really. So, um, you know, one against nine probably, right? Like one person says, yeah, it's this, but these other nine have said no. So what makes this different? You know, so I kind of just sat in a lull for a bit. Did the visit, your very first visit with the gynecologist when your mom came with you, did that come into your mind during this visit? I, I'm just curious. You know, I can't remember specifically, honestly. I think, no, not right at the moment, right? Like I was just so in the moment of, here's how I'm feeling today. That's overwhelming. What this guy just said to me is overwhelming. Also, like, I got to finish my clinical and I can't be missing more days. And, you know, how do I survive the next two weeks? Just like those typical logistics, right? Like my head was exploding. Um, In hindsight, I'm sure those paths did cross at some point in my thoughts. But in the moment, I was just so like, like you just dropped this heavy brick of stuff in my lap. And it's what I've maybe been kind of wanting someone to tell me for a long time. And now you told it to me and like, what terrible timing this is really. Right. Yeah. Well, hopefully this doctor finds our podcast and hears that like, that's incredible. And I'm sure it would, you know, really make him feel great. Also, is there a part of you that was like, how am I going to make the surgery happen in two weeks? Yeah. So I was like, Uh, what am I going to do? And if I walk away from this guy, like, who's going to believe me? So I kind of went through a just phase of like put up with it again, because it wasn't feasible to have surgery in two weeks. And then I was coming back to Iowa where I didn't have the resource. And I felt like I'd been to many providers For me at that time, I needed to focus on graduation, passing my boards. I had already signed to start a job at um, an all pelvic health clinic in Austin. So I was planning to move. And so I just felt like I want it, but it's not the time, you know? So I understand this was in Austin, right? That, yeah. So Austin is where I took my first job after PT school. So probably about two or three months after I'd seen this provider in Ohio, I moved to Austin. I would probably be sitting there like Googling how, you know, make, trying to make all the plans to figure out how to get the surgery right then and there. (laughs) Yeah. How do I, how do I do this? At least me, I think, and probably in some capacity, I think others could share this probably about their journey. You develop some sort of like faith or something. And for everyone that looks different. And for me, it was just faith in this like universal or divine timing. And so I trusted because it happened once when I wasn't expecting it that with some like intention and focus on my part, that it could happen again. And so when I moved to Austin, I, of course, was at an all pelvic health clinic. And I felt like I had already taken that job before I had this visit in Ohio. And so I felt like maybe that was the universe, like pushing me in the right direction anyways, because there was so many resources available to me there and providers with different knowledge bases and just access to a greater metropolis of everything. Of course, I did some pelvic floor PT on my own to start trying to manage symptoms, which was incredibly helpful, not the end all be all. My next kind of pivotal moment, a patient that I was treating for endometriosis postoperatively had come in and was seeing me and was just sharing about her experience. I don't keep my story to myself. Then I did, you know, my patients didn't know anything. Now, you know, I kind of walk that professional line of like sharing what's important and when with my patients. But at that time, I didn't. And this patient happened to say to me in giving praise to her doctor who did her surgery and everything. She was like, I brought in some of his cards. I just saw him. 
And I want you guys to have them at the clinic because if there's other patients like me looking for any doctors or a resource, I know this is a little bit of a drive, but he's worth it. And I want them to be able to have that resource. And she hands me the stack of this doctor's business cards. And I was like, thank you, universe. I'll take that. I had chills. I take the cards. We end the session, all of that. and. I took one of the cards home and that night I was on the website, made the phone call. I had to fill out a like 12 to 20 page application to even be considered as a patient, filled out all of the paperwork, submitted it. And then you have to wait like a week for them to get back to you. And the whole time that nice little voice that's lived with me for a long time about like, they're not going to accept you as a patient. Like you're not you don't meet the criteria for them, blah, 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 is competing with the voice that's like, this is the way to go, trust the path, you know, keep going, advocate for yourself. And so I remember getting the phone call. They were like, Dr. Mangal, that's his name. Um, Dr. Mangal has accepted you as a patient and he can see you in two weeks. So (laughs) thankfully, I had a wonderful like boss and team that I worked with. And of course, we're in public health. So they also understand very much about like what's going on in that pathway. And so I was very supportive the whole way in making those appointments accessible. And I went to my first appointment. And I remember walking in and being greeted by like the receptionist who checked me in. And she handed me a schedule for my day with them. And I was like, these people have it together. Like, no one's messing around. Okay. So I remember sitting in this conference room with maybe like three or four other patients, I presume now we're new patients as well. And we watched this educational video about endometriosis and all things that I'd never really heard before. But now, right, like these are things that we're educating people about and things that I care better is providing access to patients, this information about how it should be cared for and the kind of gold standards. In my mind, I'm like that wide-eyed kid, like, okay, this is it. I had the anxieties of meeting with a doctor having a pelvic exam and the pain and, you know, just those experiences that had been traumatizing in the past. This doctor walks in and he was so kind and so affirmative. One of the things that he told me, which I have now taken into practice for most of my patients, was I'm not going to do an exam right away. I want you to tell me your story from the beginning. I know you wrote it on the application, but I want to hear it from you because I think your story has the answers and it will tell me what I need to know without even doing an exam. I was like, okay. You know, so I shared my story and he did end up doing a pelvic exam And he was like, you have endometriosis. I would say at least a stage three based on your history and like what I'm feeling from my assessment. I was like, okay. And I felt a bit afraid of like, what does this mean? Where is this going? Like I'm on the fast train now and I'm super glad to be here and very grateful. But I'm also like, I'm a planner. And I feel like I don't have time to like plan and let this settle, but I'm not getting off the train because I waited too dang long. And so I'm here for it. So I think I met with him like late August, kind of ballpark time frame. I had my first surgery in the middle of October with him. He did a laparoscopic excision surgery. He's excision trained. At that time, I didn't really know much about the difference between ablation versus excision. I had read a few things, and all of the things that I had read had pointed to excision being better than ablation. So I was a little bit at a point where I did know a few of the questions to ask him to feel like I was getting the right care because I was kind of done messing around. He 
met the criteria from my best understanding and now looking back like fully met the criteria of what should have happened so i was very grateful for that and so he did a laparoscopic surgery in october and removed several um, areas of endometriosis from my pelvic cavity my bladder bowels diaphragm and anterior posterior abdominal wall he at that time after the surgery said i did not complete the surgery fully because i had difficulty accessing some of the areas of endometriosis because of like the adhesions and the fibrotic tissue that had built up and i didn't feel like it was safe or in your best interest or my ability to do the procedure well laparoscopically so i want to schedule you for a laparotomy for those of you that that term's not familiar that is essentially a c-section sized incision in the lower like abdomen kind of think bikini line area and so i was scheduled for a laparotomy in january part of his protocol at that time i can't say if that is still a part of his protocol but at that time um, was to place me on lupron and so i had a lupron injection every month until my surgery so i had a total of four injections it was horrific. I in no way blamed the doctor for that. I was not educated enough at that time to maybe ask some more questions or consider a different alternative. But I also knew that I really needed that next surgery and I'd sucked it up for how many years. So I got it in me to do four more months. It was a rough four months, um, especially being away from like my family and my main support system. And it did not help my pain at all. And I had a lot of side effects, the emotional side effects, um, like mostly depression type symptoms. Um, I lost a lot of hair. Thankfully, I was blessed with a very thick head of hair, but I remember pulling clumps of hair out for those of you who are unfamiliar, Lupron is a cancer drug. It is used in like types of chemotherapy. So sometimes those side effects are present for patients. Those are probably the biggest ones that I experienced, you know, just counting down the days till January. So for my January surgery, my mom flew out, was with me. And I remember waking up from that second surgery in January and I had no pain. I had surgical pain, right? Like my incision hurt and my abs were a little sore. Those pains made sense and it wasn't pain that I'd felt before. Like that pain was gone. You know, I was out of it because I was on the, you know, drugs. Yeah, I remember having no pain. I don't remember a lot. I stayed in the hospital for like four or five days because of the extent of the surgery. So I remember having no pain. I remember that the catheter was really uncomfortable for me and they wanted me to walk. And I was like, that's not gonna happen, but we'll just navigate it for now. Um, and I do remember, you know, at a certain point you become a good advocate. And then with the influence of some of these like pain medications, the filter kind of goes away or the inhibitions maybe go away. And so I do remember saying like, take the catheter out. If I don't go to the bathroom in your allotted time frame, you can put it back in. And so I did go and it was fine and they left it out. I also am not a person who does well with things that don't feel comfortable on my body, like I'm very sensitive to those things. And so I was like off the blood pressure cough, pulling off the pulse ox, all of the things that they're using to like monitor how one is doing, setting off routine alarm bells. And I mean, those nurses were, God bless them. I'm sure they were very frustrated, but also understanding and caring. Very quick interruption. What year was this? This was 20, very early 2017. I also have not heard this part of the story. And so I'm laughing just because honestly, I can't picture you do that, Britt. I know I try to be such a, 
I'm generally like a strong, I can have a strong voice, but not so uh, maybe like aggressive about it, you know, a little bit more professional in a gentle way of it. I remember that they were giving me morphine. One thing, um, this doctor had a very specific post-operative protocol that was working to protect GI disruption um, because of the impacts that endometriosis has on the gut. And so I'd worked with a gastroenterologist in this process and done some dietary changes and some supplements to work on healing my gut because of the chronic inflammation. And so part of his post-operative protocol was a very specific set of like medications allowed for pain management because of how they interacted with the gut and trying to minimize any irritations or things to that. And so one of them was morphine and that made me feel like bugs were crawling on my skin. There was probably the night at the hospital that I nearly lost it. I remember having asked the nurse, like, can you please stop my IV? I don't need, like, I don't need it. I'm okay. And she's like, no, the doctor says, you know, this is the protocol. And I do vaguely remember my mom being like the biggest mama bear I've ever seen her be. And she was like, you will stop this. She has asked you. She is okay. This is causing more harm at this point than it's helping. And I don't know, eventually they stopped. And so that was great. And the last thing that I remember was that they had stapled my incision shut. And so before I left the hospital, they removed the staples, which um, just kind of feels like a bee sting, right? I knew that from PT school and the joint replacements and that type of thing. However, one of the staples um, folded around itself. And so it was two hospitalists and a nurse working to get this staple out. Um, I remember the intensity, but kind of just mostly tuned it out. And I do have pictures. My mom waited in the hall and she took pictures of them, like trying to get, you know, the process of getting the staple out. So that's kind of how I recall that memory. And then after that, I was still on a low dose, like a low, low estrogen pill for a few months after my surgery. I weaned off of that. I chose not to be on it any longer. I had done some research about um, what that could mean for the rest of my body and the healing process. And it wasn't something that I wanted to continue. And so was supported in that and kind of weaned off of that. And then progressively over the next probably two to three years, I was some symptoms, nothing near what I was experiencing before, mostly GI related things and occasionally some pain. So I began working with a functional medicine provider, worked to just heal my gut. And it really took like two to three years to get to a place where I felt like that gut health was very well restored and I wasn't having um, really any symptoms. You know, my story after that is significant, but in comparison, like, you know, no monumental pieces. The only thing I can remember is after my surgery, I moved back to Iowa, a provider that I had just like established care with roughly in that time early in my move back. I said that I was working with a functional medicine provider or was like in that pursuit of that. And they said to me, good luck, it won't help and I'll see you back with your symptoms when that doesn't go well. All I was asking for from that provider was a referral to try to get my insurance to cover a little bit of um, the functional medicine care pieces. Obviously that wasn't going to happen. So I went for it anyways, and it is probably one of the best investments I've ever made in my health. And that's really how I looked at it was that I was just investing in myself. I'm grateful that I did. I will say that, so we're in 2023 now, you know, what, like five years, probably after surgery, almost six, and I'm pain-free 97% of the time, which is awesome. Um, I attribute the blessing of my son, who is now two, to be because of the surgery that I had and the skill that I had. I feel 
very fortunate, actually, like beyond words to be able to have had him and to be able to do so naturally and to, you know, be really uncomplicated and uneventful in that process and to also be continuing to feel pretty well postpartum. So I really attribute that to him. And I think in my journey now or as of late, that's something that's really just kind of continue to fuel me for advocacy as my own story and hoping that others can have some of those similar like glimmers of that universal timing or divine intervention or you know just a lucky day or however they want to call it or quantify it that somehow I can be a part of that whether it's physical therapy that's providing that service for them or directing them to the person that is or sharing my story just helps to like validate or encourage somebody else to keep going when you don't have the resources or you feel like you've exhausted all of your resources and no one's listening. Like sometimes I think for me and my story, you have to leave home, right? Like maybe you don't have to physically leave home, but you have to look outside And that's scary for a lot of other reasons for people, for different things, but it can be incredibly worth it. I'm very glad that my story has been what it is. While, you know, like looking back on those days of the pain and the early days of symptoms, I honestly can say I don't think that I would change anything overall, right? There are little things that I would change now that I know what I know and being in the field that I'm in. I am glad that is a part of my story. It's helped make me who I am and has encouraged my passion in my career as a physical therapist and has led me to have so many wonderful connections with people like the two of you and you know all of the other great people in our field. And so I do re- feel really fortunate and I don't think that any of that would have been possible without, without Endo. So it's the yeah. two sides of the coin. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing. And I'm glad you had endo too, just so I could meet you. Not that yeah. I wish you had endo, but I'm glad that it happened that way. And I do think it was meant to be. Yes. And with that, I I was curious, you know, we met a year ago, first time. So John and I got connected because of endometriosis and physical therapy. And, uh, you know, we have this group of physical therapists who are on I Care Better to provide help for endometriosis which we know is so important but always underappreciated and jana joined us then we got to this conversation and then she told me that you have a course so not only you learned how to treat patients with physical therapy and help them and guide them but also you took one step further to help other physical therapists learn how to do that this is a question for the bo- for both of you. Like, what was the process? How you decided to become a, an endometriosis physical therapy, and how that transformed into become actually a mentor or a teacher for endometriosis physical therapy? I'm really curious to know about that. Well, Britt had started that endeavor before I had. I had wanted to get into teaching. Stephanie, my boss at the time was like, you know, there's this company called Alcove that they're teaching courses and they're really along the lines of what, you know, the way that we treat. And this could be an opportunity. I can reach out to Sarah and Kelly and see if there's an opportunity. And so I flew out to Texas and I I TA'd for their vestibular dynia course where I met Sarah and Kelly. I don't think you were there hosting the other course yet, Britt. We were out to dinner and Sarah was like, you know, you and Britt, they're like, they're so similar. And Britt teaches with us and you guys have to meet and you have to develop an endo course and we need this and you two are the perfect fit for each other. And so I think after that, Sarah put us in touch email maybe, or we talked Mm -hmm. briefly. Yeah, it was a, I think it was like a virtual email kind of thing somehow through those communications we were working on some preliminary course development pieces and fleshing out like our outline and things just kind of brainstorming really like what do we want to include what do we think is important what are we thinking here and then 
a few months went by through this process and we were kind of streamlining things. And then Jander and I were both at the combined sections meeting, the big PT conference. So that was the first time that we met in person. And at least for me, it was kind of one of those surreal moments. Like, I feel like I've known this person for a really long time. Not like I'm meeting a stranger and this is going to be weird or awkward, but it was just like, oh, hey, how are you? You know, like, totally. whatever, just regular conversation. That's kind of where we've been since. And one thing I love about Jandra is her passion for endometriosis and education and like just getting the word out there. And it doesn't really matter how. It doesn't matter who hears it, but like somebody's got to hear it. And the more people that know, the better. I mean, the idea train from this human is like nonstop. And it like fuels my idea train too. So it's a bit of a dangerous path, I think, for the two of us to to do this. But we make it work. And so we created initially a, a three-day course. Right? Yeah, I think we did like a two and a half, two day and then a pre-recording day or two and a half day. It was long. It's a long course about management of endometriosis and the care of the patient, specifically geared toward PTs, but also other healthcare professionals. Our course covers everything from what is endo, the very basics. What are the interventions that have commonly been used? What are the theories about how and why endo exists and continues to proliferate to ways that you can help as a PT and learning the lingo of the medical side of things and the surgical side of things, all of the comorbidities or overlapping syndromes that we often see with endometriosis and how do you understand that? How do you delve through that? How do you tease it apart? How do you know if it is endo or it's not endo? So a lot of stuff packed into really like four days of content. And we taught our first course right before COVID. No. So we were actually, when we met in CSM, that was right before COVID. And then we were actually scheduled to teach in April in Texas. And so it gave us some time. And then COVID happened. And one of the reasons we delayed it was because we didn't want to do it virtual. We felt so strongly about it. We were like, no, we don't want to do it virtually. And then obviously that didn't go away. So so we did it virtually for the first time. Okay. That's good. Um, it's nice to have two brains in the operation yeah. to remember all of the things. So yeah, so we taught it first virtually and had great feedback, I think. And we did. Like, and we did the marketing ourselves and just was like, you know, we're happy to teach it. We don't really care. I mean, we obviously wanted more people more so to just spread the word about it. And I think at first, I think we both kind of felt a little like, well, that's okay. Like it'll be a good trial run. I think we had 12 people total, including Stephanie, who was super supportive and helpful. And I think we felt really great about it at the end. And yeah, the feedback was really good. And in creating the course, yeah, having two brains to to try to figure out the organization of how do we make this not so bore, not boring in a sense, but just so much overload of information. How do we tie this in practically? And I think for me, that was one of the hardest parts. With Brit, I feel like we are sort of on the same page, bringing different ideas, but it was so easy to just work together. Let's do this. Let's do this. It just came together so well. And I think that's been one of the most enjoyable things. And we both have very different stories. So I think it provides a really good overview of really how endo appears differently in different people. And we practice in different locations with different resources. And so that's been a really fun experience to have the different piece of your story but another professional who has also gone through it to help provide this information to others. So you said it started to be a four-day course. A four-day course. What's what's the length now? Like, if someone wants to take it, I'm you know, like, and who who can take it? Like, only physical therapists, or like, what is it tailored to? We still have the four-day course option, and now that things with COVID have settled down and stuff that is 
you know, kind of in our works of scheduling items in the process, as I was in new motherhood, is also working to modify our four day course and streamline it into more of like a one day kind of endo 101 type thing. Like, what is the basics? What is something I can take and have a good understanding of what endometriosis is and interventions, but maybe not so time intensive. And so we have that version as well. So the course is really geared for any healthcare provider that works with patients who are experiencing endometriosis. Of course, we come from the PT lens in our instruction and slightly gear the course to those who maybe don't have that like depth of knowledge about endometriosis and what are the interventions. Like this is a course for you if you are like you said endometriosis and I know like a couple of things that I don't even know if that's a myth or a fact or updated info at this point. Like come come and learn. If you're struggling with these complex patients or suspected endo or they have endo, like this is for you, nurse practitioner, gynecologist, urologist, GI, whomever it is, um, the course really does have something for everyone, I think. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Jandra. That's a very good overview of what we made from that. And Britt was not only going through motherhood, she was also, you know, enrolled in a PhD program and was working in a, a school setting and I think clinic too. So it was just not the right timing. So we modified it and we had brought it to Public Health Solutions, which is a Canadian education company. I took that first teaching of it with them. And in that, mostly were PTs, mostly were PTs from Canada, although there were, I think, a couple U.S. PTs. But there was also two osteopaths that took the course, which was really cool. And then after that, I got really excited again, good feedback, and you know, immediately text Britt, like, when, are, when can we do this together? <laughs> Again, and we we recently did another course with them in the end of April and May, and it was much more fun to have two people to do the course. And we hope to teach it in the future. We we do have another date set with them for next April 2024, and we can uh, get more information out about that. We just set that. But we do hope to teach other versions, maybe the more in-depth version again um, in the future for others to really spread the word. We believe it's a great course and provides an extensive amount of information, both from updated evidence of what we know now, but also our clinical experience and a way to take this course and on Monday be able to have a very different conversation with patients. That's great. I remember um, I have spoken with couple of groups who have pelvic physical therapists and they don't necessarily are knowledgeable about endometriosis so that's just pts but think about pcps or a lot of obgyns out there or or dietitians i mean endometriosis is a multidisciplinary problem and i really appreciate this is a really good opportunity and i have seen the course like it's so well researched i know how many months you spend just to prepare it and you i know you keep polishing it it's just one of the one of those things that adds so much to the to the community in short, mid, and long term. That's great, and I really appreciate. It. And I think we need to get the word out about that. It's it's not there enough for for enough people because we need more people to take it and learn about everything you are talking about. That is our hope too, and future projects and goals because we love it. We love teaching it, and it means a lot to us. Well, anything else either of you want to add to this or any advice for patients or PTs or other healthcare professionals? I'll speak from my standpoint as a healthcare professional with very specific knowledge in this area, but also working with patients coming from a variety of backgrounds, as we all do, but being in an area where there aren't excision specialists there's not somebody or multiple people 
a short distance away that patients could go to seek care, you have as a provider find your providers because although there are not specialists here or excision specialists, there are providers who are knowledgeable. There are providers who are willing to learn and have open professional productive conversations because they also care about the patients and they want them to get better. And there are providers that are willing to help. So find those people and pursue those relationships professionally and develop that rapport that has been pivotal for helping patients here also learn the resources, right? So I Care Better is a great resource to find who might those other providers be if patients feel like they've exhausted the resources or kind of the current interdisciplinary team that that patient might have feel like everybody's done everything that they can at this time to help that patient. Where do we go next? Find those resources, read a lot, stay up to date on the evidence, and make friends and colleagues in areas that aren't the rural area. So having colleagues such as Jandra, Saeed, um, these people who are closer in proximity to those who specialize in excision of endometriosis, those who specialize in sexual medicine, sometimes they're getting the research first or things are being implemented into practice early I am never and hope to never be a provider that thinks that I have the answers and I am not afraid to ask the question or ask for help or bounce ideas off. And so I love to be able to go to Jandra, go to other providers that I know and say, hey, I have this patient. What are y'all doing for this? Or like, here's all the things that I've tried that we've talked about that are happening what else can I consider? What could I bring as suggestions back to those that I work with that maybe we're not trying yet? And then I'm very grateful to my team who is collaborative and respects like the knowledge base and is willing to be like, oh yeah, let me look into that a bit for myself so that we can see how this might be appropriate for a patient. So I guess in short, find your team and find a good team and find those resources. And your team doesn't have to be people that you see, right, like physically face-to-face every day, but find them and keep in touch with them because I think that that is really powerful. You know, I think my other takeaway, I said it earlier, is the answer is in your patient. You know, trust them, trust their story. Most of my sessions, I spend a lot of time just listening and asking follow-up questions. And so learn how to be a good communicator and a good listener, you know, trust that your patient has the answer. So if something's not making sense, go back to those subjective questions, even if you're 10 visits in and pretend like it's the first time you're meeting. See what maybe you can uncover or something that you missed or sounds different and resonates differently to help them. My third kind of takeaway, and I will steal this from my husband a bit to an extent too, is an artist you know, probably once a month reminds me that like the key to making good and meaningful art is to know the rules and then know how to break them. And I'm not talking about like ethically breaking rules or breaking the rules of your practice acts. We just want to clarify that, but understand how the body works, understand what an intervention's intention is or what someone's role is and then know or think creatively about how you could maybe apply that to your patient. I think sometimes it's very tempting, especially in the culture and the nature of Western medicine to become very siloed into our fields, our specialties, thinking outside the box or reaching out to other providers and saying like, if this was your patient, what might you do? And seeing how maybe you could apply that or integrate that person into this patient's care. If we push the boundaries, if we think creatively, that's how we learn new things. And that's how we get new results, build on this growing body of evidence and ultimately help the patient. So 
I think don't be afraid to think creatively and work creatively for your patients. Well said. I agree. I love everything you said. I basically have nothing to add. That was so well said. <laughs> Great. Thank well, you so much. Thank you, Britt. Is there anywhere that you want to share in case people are listening and not looking at the show notes that people can find you? Sure. Um, I do have an Instagram account. It is a work in progress. So continue to look out for me. And that also holds me accountable to um, continuing to update that amongst the busyness of life. Um, I am on the iCare uh, webpage as a provider. And so if you're looking to contact me in a professional capacity or as a patient, my contact information is there as well. So I would say those would be kind of the two places. And then, of course, look out for any info about um, the course that Jandra and I teach. We hope that you would join us. We would love to have you. And I think we learn as much from teaching the course each time as we hope to give to others. So it's always a really fun, a fun time. And I just want to say thank you so much for having me. I feel um, really glad and honored to be an early part of what I only know will be a long lasting educational resource for so many people. So thank you so much. Of course, I was so excited to have you on and it was very necessary. So thank you very much. And thanks to everyone listening and stay tuned for more. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Endo Unplugged presented by I Care Better. We hope you found our discussion insightful and empowering. Remember, you are not alone in your journey with endometriosis. Together, we can raise awareness, support one another, and drive positive change in the understanding and management of this condition. Tune in weekly to I Care Better Endo Unplugged for more inspiring conversations, expert insights, and practical tips to help you navigate life with endometriosis. If you have any questions, suggestions, or personal stories you'd like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on our website, iCareBetter.com, or social media platforms at iCareBetter. And let's continue this conversation. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Together, we can make a difference for those living with endometriosis. Thank you.